Welcome to Vibrant Potential. I'm your host, Dr. Chris Frickman. Today's episode is an exciting one for me. Hal Runkle is a favorite author of mine. His books are not only easy to read and easy to apply, they also somehow seem to target specific issues and yet also encompass so much of what's important if you want to change your experience of life. Hal and I cover a ton of ground today, including delving into his latest book, Choose Your Own Adulthood, a play off of his childhood favorite Choose Your Own Adventure books. Honoring the truth that none of us are perfect, Hal encourages us to simply move in a direction that serves us. Some of his concepts include classics like Be More Interested and Less Interesting, He gives a great way for you to discern whether you're responding, which he welcomes you to do more of, or reacting, which he encourages less of. He recommends you create more and critique less. And perhaps my favorite chapter in his new book, Confront More and Complain Less. If you're anything like me, you've certainly found yourself complaining from time to time. Okay, in my case, more often than I care to admit. Whether it's to others, to myself, or even about myself, it never seems to help much. Confronting, on the other hand, when done with a gentle and well-intentioned manner, can actually bring about positive change, even if that change is simply deeper understanding of others. Check out today's show note page at drchrisfrickman.com slash choose your own adulthood. And you'll have to listen to the end of this interview if you want to hear Hal's number one health tip, but I will give you a hint. When you hear it, you may want to listen to last week's episode with Sandy Anderson, which you can check out on iTunes or Stitcher or on my website again at www.drchrisfrickman.com slash Himalayan Institute. Without further ado, Hal Runkle. Welcome to Vibrant Potential. We provide you with everything you need to know to overcome stress, fatigue, and chronic health challenges, as well as optimizing your performance in fitness, relationship, and business. We use integrative health solutions and functional medicine strategies, including brain-based approaches, inspired fitness tips, emotional intelligence coaching, and spiritual growth techniques so you can live the life you want, connect deeply with others, and fulfill your vibrant potential. Your host is functional medicine expert, genetic biohacker, and triathlon coach, Dr. Chris Frickman. Hal, thank you so much for joining me on Viber Potential. I'm excited to talk about anxiety today and how it's getting in people's way in terms of relationships, their business, and their life. Thanks, Chris. I, uh, I'm thrilled to talk about it. It's interesting. You know, I'm excited to talk about anxiety, you know, <laughs> <laughs> which we both are, but it's, it's, it's interesting because it's like this one thing that all of us have almost all the time. And yet talking about it is uncomfortable. 
it's funny, we haven't even started the conversation. I'm, this is already a little tangent question of mine, but somewhere some, I was talking with someone and I, right at the moment, I can't think of who, but I was talking about how excitement and anxiety almost seem like they're the same thing, but mm-hmm. they're, but excitement is like just a little bit of anxiety. It's like an amount that your brain has been kind of conditioned to be able to deal with or something. Uh, sure. Is that something, do you go with that? I mean, does that make sense for you or does that seem inaccurate? No, I think so. But also excitement is usually related to a specific event. And while anxiety can be related to a specific event, it doesn't have to be. Oh. That one, of the most, one of the most debilitating things that we struggle with is just kind of chronic anxiety which is just a, a general fear about the future. And at that, those diagnoses, unfortunately, are, are increasing. And it has, we don't exactly know why, but it has a lot to do with all the different things we're putting in our bodies, all the different medications we take, right? the stuff that we're not sure how it all mixes together. But technology is not making us less anxious, for mm. one. Mm. It, yeah, it is making sure. us, it, it's making us excited, but it's not making us less, less anxious. I mean, just think about it. Uh, now, well, Hey, I texted you 90 seconds ago. What's the deal? Yeah. I okay. know you're out there, dude. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Stop it, ignoring yeah. me. Pay attention to me. 90 seconds. You know, you know, she hasn't texted me back in, in, in two minutes. She must be cheating on me. Right, right, right. Yep. It, so we've, it, what technology, the immediate connectivity that is made possible by technology has given us the impression that we're actually having true connection. And mm. we're not. We're not. We're, we're making ourselves even more available than ever before, mm. which means we're at the mercy of everyone else's agenda. And unless, it's, and unless it's, we set clear boundaries, maybe. Exactly. I was just on a road trip. I, I travel most weeks to go speak somewhere and um, was with a business partner. And he was complaining how we were on the West Coast uh, traveling and he got a text at four in the morning. And I said, how did you know you got it? And that woke him up. And I'm like, how did you know oh, you got no. a text at four in the morning? And he said, well, it buzzed. I'm like, Don't do you, you really get a buzz? Your phone? <laughs> right. He said, yes, normally. But then I was like, so you actually get a buzz every time you get a text? You didn't turn that alert off? And because in my, if I got a buzz every time I got a text, then I am living totally on everyone else's schedule because I get texts every hour. And I can cite all the studies that show how long it takes you to get back to the same level of concentration you had. Mm. Uh, before, uh, you know, and, and it can take up to 20 minutes to get you to the same level. Just one little email alert that you get on your laptop can totally take you out of, especially if you're in a creative mode. But I, it's one of the things I've demanded my kids, like, turn off the buzz alerts. Are you going to pick up your phone? Yes. Are you going to see that people have texted you? Yes. So then you can respond then. But always being at the beck and call. And so that has helped create this anxiety because we're losing the ability to manage our own internal emotions during the necessary, difficult unknowns of life. Right, which and, is which has always been a difficult thing to hone without cell phones. Right. And even, I mean, think about this. Uh, you know, 100 years ago, if I were to travel to the West Coast, how long is that trip going to take? A month, you know? 
and it's going to be another month or whatever before my family hears back from me that I even actually went in the direction <laughs> I said I was going to go. <laughs> and, and my wife would just have to get on with life, you know, right, and figure right. it out. Contrast that with now. As soon as the plane lands, everybody's whipping out their cell phones to text their loved ones because God forbid they have to wait five more minutes to figure out if your plane went down in flames. Right, right. So just to be clear, so uh, I have my text alert off uh, at night, some night hours, like I was able to figure that out with one of the options in the phone, right? Oh, yeah, cool. But uh, so you have your text alert off 24-7. 24-7, because I have my phone on me all the time, right? And I will pick it up and use it. And when I pick it up, I see, hey, somebody texted. And so that way I'm texting on my time. Not on their time. Nice it's almost too. like yeah. it's almost like the option on email. You know the option, and it started with BlackBerry, where you could have it uh, push, right? Oh, you could have it. Hey, you got an email? Like yes, yeah, and yeah. it'll it'll happen right away, as opposed to fetch, which you had to tell it go get your emails. Which that's how my then that's how I have mine set on my iPhone is it doesn't my emails don't come in until I tell it to allow them in oh. because because I. Don't want to give off the impression to anyone it is a boundary, like you were mentioning, but I don't want to give the impression to anyone that I am constantly at everyone's beck and call. Right. Okay. That makes sense. So, um, yeah, I mean, gosh, I remember a long time ago I read a book uh, that I liked. It had, had some had some good advice in there. Uh, but four hour work week, are you familiar with that? Uh, he's uh, Tim Ferriss is the one that told me to take all the alerts off. Oh, gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say like, that was the first place I had ever heard of that. And of course yep. nowadays, uh, I, gosh, I don't know how that old that is 10 or 12 years now. Yeah, it is. It's, it's a good 12 yeah. years old. Yeah. 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 But so now there's even more alerts, of course, for sure. Oh, of course. Than the, yeah, than there was 10 years ago. But yeah, his deal was he only answered email one hour a week. Right, once a week. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, That's but crazy. No, but none of us take that uh I mean I should say none of us. I mean you're you're doing it. Hell, that's good for a you. little bit. But I but would... but so many of us don't don't allow ourselves that. And how much of that do you think is because of this anxiety that I I'm sure you've probably heard in, in your line of work you've probably heard this acronym FOMO. I was just about to say that acronym. Yes, the fear of missing out is yeah, yeah. huge, but it's actually a deeper. Let's get into neuroscience. Okay, let's it, do it. You know, it, it is a the phone is a dopamine delivery device. Nice. And it it is constantly <laughs> feeding it and we are addicted hook, line and sinker to our phones. That's why I mean, you you don't know where your phone is, you freak. So it's not just fear of missing out on the activity of what other people are doing. It's my brain needs its hit. And that hit can be uh, the like on a post that I made, right? It can be the receptivity to a text I sent. Mm. That hit can, can be just the next newest article on my Facebook feed that shows, you know, Trump as a buffoon. Mm. It's, it's, and it's constantly because what the brain craves, uh, and you know this probably much better than I do, is but the brain craves novelty, because that's how Absolutely. our synapses that's how our synapses get developed, right? And it's amazing because that's what grows our brain, literally grows the physical brain is this novelty. Well, the phone is a novelty delivery device, and we get addicted to it. And so it's not like I care what's on my phone; it's I care what else is on my phone. 
constantly. Mm. And since there's always new something, I keep going to it, keep going to it. And it's not actually decreasing my anxiety because no drug decreases your anxiety. Mm. Not even anti-anxiety drugs? (laughs) (laughs) Because, and I will say, you know, what's one of the biggest problems in medication is the addiction to benzodiazepines, which is the probably the most dangerous addiction there is because withdrawal can't actually kill you. You know, withdrawal from heroin can't actually kill you. Uh, benzos, though, you know, take Xanax for a while and you can have a seizure and die if you don't titrate it carefully, getting off of it. It's, it's a constant, you know, it's an old story that the solution we choose actually becomes worse than the problem itself. But you think about it. I'm use, I'm staying in touch with where my kids are by you know look up my iPhone or find my iPhone app, right? And mm. um, so I'm searching for them and I'm looking for them and I see and I think, okay, I know where they're at, so that's going to ease my anxiety. It doesn't. It just increases it. The fact that you can know means I'm going to continually check mm. because I want to know. And here's what is that actually increasing the trust I have in them? Well, maybe in a short term way, if they if they are at where they said they were going to be at. Right. Right. But overall, it's getting me tied to this where I'm losing my natural ability to get on with other things in life. Hmm. Which fit in with. uh, Oh, no, you go ahead. No, I think you were going where I was going to go. So. Um, what I was going to ask is how does this fit in with codependency? And it's a codependency. Uh, the heart of all addiction is codependency. Codependency is this insatiable need for validation from others. And that validation in a strictly codependent Uh, relationship, if we're talking drug codependency, that validation is that I helped fix him, right? That I, because, or I helped tame him. I got to tell you, Chris, I, I hate beauty and the beast. It's out right now. I hate that story as a therapist Mm. because that story is all about this horribly abusive monster, right? Who jails her father, jails her, and is in a rage fest all the time, and only she can save him. Mm. And she will go through these this abuse in order to tame the beast, mm. which is the exact reason why domestic abuse relationships go on and on and on. Because I'm the only one that understands him. I'm the only one that knows him, and I know his, his bad points and his good points, but I believe that I can. That's a codependent relationship. I had to, when we were in grad school, we had to learn about this case uh, where it was a domestic violence case, but the victim was the one who was handed the restraining order because she would not stay away from him. Whoa. Okay. And it was, it would blew our minds just like that. Just like you did. It's like, I can't understand that, but that's part of the codependency thing is I can change him, right? Well, codependency is at the heart of all addictions because that's what we're looking for on our phones is validation. Somebody liked my post validation. Somebody posted an article that proved that I was right. Validation that, um, you know what? I texted somebody and they texted me right back. That must mean I mean a lot to them. 
Wow. Okay. So there's there's like a chronic kind of underlying anxiety that some people have all the time, or I feel like maybe everyone has it. And and I'm not the therapist here, but I feel like maybe everyone has anxiety, but you you can learn how to sort of manage it or something. You can you can tell the you can tell the voice to you know to be like chill out. I I know I can trust her. You know what I mean? Or how yep. how does that is that right? Or would you say nah? nah you're off the mark on that. No, you're, you're completely right. Anxiety, and here's the thing, anxiety is not all bad either. Anxiety is, is a, a wonderful servant. The problem is it's a terrible master. Okay. And it all comes down to how I relate to the anxiety. Because and, and feeling, Bill Russell threw up before every basketball game he ever played. And this is maybe one of the top five greatest champions in any sport of all time. And he threw up before every game. And he said, I get scared if I don't throw up because that means it doesn't mean enough to me. Mm. I'm not nervous. That ang- so anxiety just means you care. Now, managing the anxiety so that you can behave better than you feel, well, that is the hallmark of adulthood. Oh, wow. Okay. That and- is, that's an amazing segue into your book. I, so I, I have to just say... Uh, your new book that you have coming out, um, it's called Choose Your Own Adulthood. Why did you write that? Well, it actually started as a series of letters I was started writing to my daughter when she was 16. She came to me when she was 16. She was taking a biology class, and she said, Dad, I heard that our brains don't get fully developed until we're like 25. And I said, yeah, that's, that's actually the neofrontal cortex. You know, doesn't get developed 25, 26 years old. Well, then she had a very logical question. She said, well, if that's the case, then why do we have to make so many huge life-altering decisions between the ages of 16 and 24? That's very logical, right? So I thought about it for (laughs) a second. Super logical, yeah. Yeah, it really is, right? So I thought about it, and then I asked her, and so I'm a therapist, so my kids are used to me answering questions with another question, right? But I just said, so when you were a baby, did we wait until you could speak before we started speaking to you? Well, of course not. We started speaking to you right from the beginning, long before you could understand a syllable. And guess what? That's how you learn to speak. Well, the same thing. If we prevent you from making decisions until we think your brain is fully developed to 25, you know what we're going to discover? That the brain doesn't get fully developed till 30. Mm. Because making decisions is how the brain gets developed. So it's, but that's, she's not the only one asking the question. There are a lot of people out there that are saying, you know what? We're witnessing and the elongation of childhood, this one prominent sociologist says we now have a new life phase. So after adolescence, you don't become a young adult. After adolescence, you become an emerging adult. Mm. Like for all of your 20s. (laughs) Yes, till 29. So you're not a young adult till you're 30, which is insane. But that's what he's saying is happening. And that's really good news for me because I just turned 40 this year. And that means 40 is really, really is the new 30. The that's... new 30. <laughs> and, that, and you think about it, it makes perfect sense since boomers started saying, you know, 50 is the new 40. Well, 30 is the new 20, right? No, it's not. Because other parts of your body are coming along right uh, on the old mm, schedule, mm. right? And those parts of your body can really mess up your life and actually create other lives. And so you can't be excused from the responsibilities of adulthood because we're uh, observing less and less maturity in the quote unquote millennial generation. 
Mm. No, it's be, you know what that's led by? That's led by our parental anxiety. We don't want them making decisions because they might make mistakes, and as, especially as they become adolescents. So we don't want them driving cars. Chris, I, 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 I'm blown away by this stat. But in 1980, 80% of 18-year-olds had a driver's license in the United States. 1980, now it's, okay. Yeah. Now it's less than 60. Oh, wow. Okay. That's they're, not getting their, they're not getting their driver's license. And you said you didn't say by 16. You said by 18, right? 18. Right. Wow. By 18. And it's parental. And, and parents are okay with it because, you know what, uh, I, I, he'll be safer not on the road. Here's what I always say. Here's my response to that when parents tell me that is, so that means you're actually more comfortable with him riding around with other 17-year-olds? <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. So you mean you trust other 17-year-olds more than you trust your own kid, hmm. which is partly true. And so I started writing these series of letters to my daughter, kind of in a journal, about the choices that actually make the difference in life. Not the big right or wrong questions. You know, those you don't, life really isn't day to day with these huge right or wrong choices. It's these little tiny choices that are nuanced and full of context. And those are the ones that are difficult to make. And so like I framed all these choices what, as, g- give me an example of the big question. You mean like the 10 commandments kind of questions or yeah, something? Right. Or? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Don't Yeah. Okay. Whether or not I'm going to cheat on my wife is not an active day to day choice for most know? people, <laughs> for most people. But whether I respond to a situation or react to a situation, I face that every five minutes. Oh, yeah. And so the way that I frame this is every chapter is, well, just do more of this and less of that. And you'll be amazed how your life gets better. So one well, of the chapters. I mean, that's a great way to go about it, too. And, and it's a it's a peaceful it's a much more peaceful way to go about it instead of an anxiety ridden way to go about it, because. Sometimes there's this, uh, oh gosh, I have to do this every, every time I have to always respond perfectly and and never react. Uh, and then that actually makes us more anxious too. Like, oh, I didn't do it perfect. And you don't have any grace for yourself. Uh, can we just go back a tiny bit and will you, will you map out for people? I mean, not map out, but just briefly tell us what's the difference between responding and reacting? Because if you're not used to that, they can sound similar. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it it was fun going over this with my daughter because I was using kind of social media as as an example. Like, you know, if if someone trolls you, what does a response look like (laughs) versus what does a reaction look like? Zig Ziglar did the best. You know, you remember Zig Ziglar, the motivational speaker years ago. He did the best. He said, look, if you're sick and the doctor is providing a treatment, and the doctor comes in and says, your body's responding to the treatment. That's good news. If you're sick and the guy comes in, your body's reacting to the treatment. That's bad news. Oh, yeah. Good one. It's a great little way. And so reacting is instantaneous, unthoughtful knee jerk. And it's instinct and it's reactivity and it's animalistic. It's actually not operating out of the human part of our brain. It's either operating out of the amygdala, the reptilian part of our brain, or the mammal part of our brain, uh, but it's not the front part of our brain, which is the part that chooses, that considers, that deliberates, that thinks what is best. I feel this way, but you know what? I don't have to behave that way. That's the mature part of our brain, and that is a response. Mm. So one of the things to do in the book is just say this totally changes the word responsibility. 
Because unfortunately, we, we use the word responsibility like doing what you're supposed to do. But that's not actually what the word means. It means the ability to make a response, which means yep. it's a choice. Response-able. I've, I've lived that. Yeah. And so uh, that's what I want for my daughter is I want you to be responsible, meaning I'm not going to tell you what to do. The way we parent, uh, and you read, I think, my first book, Scream Free Parenting. I did. What that, Great what that, book, everyone. <laughs> thank you very much. Uh, oh, I didn't tell you. We're coming out with a 10th anniversary edition later oh, in the cool. fall. Oh, it's cool. updated. Yeah, I couldn't believe it had been 10 years. But we parented our kids in such a way that by the time they were seniors in high school, they had no rules from us whatsoever. It was like from now on, from now on, you don't have any rules because you know what? This is a dress rehearsal for next year when you're off at college, and we have no idea what you're doing day to day, and it is totally up to you. So let's kind of practice that. And it was harder for my daughter than it was for us because she was used to having some clear rules that she could then bump up against. But adulthood, you don't have nearly as many of those. You have a lot more freedom, and that's one of the reasons why kids are really struggling in college as they get there, and. All of a sudden, they have this newfound freedom, and they don't know how to handle it. Oh, they man. don't know how to. Do you remember manage. who? Uh, do you remember Dana Carvey? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. SNL. Uh, what was he on Wayne's World? He was Garth, the, Garth. the sidekick. Yep. Yep. Um, yep. And a number of other movies, but he he kind of was off the scene for ten or twenty years for a little while, and he he has a Netflix special now, and I I I thought it was hilarious, and he was. Uh, he references that he's 60 now and he has some some grown uh, i think they're kids. boys yeah yes. kid definitely kids i think they're boys i can't remember yes and um and he, he one of his little bits of course i don't have the comedic timing that he does but he uh he was talking about how you know millennials and some of the differences and stuff and he was talking about how uh i think it was his boys were at a in their apartment and uh they called home they were like uh mom <laughs> yeah uh it's really cold in here <laughs> and, <laughs> and and she goes well have you have you looked at the thermostat right uh i'm not really good with thermostats could you do it (laughs) yeah just unbelievable you know and they're like 26 or something like that like can you come over and fix my thermostat (laughs) yep and it is it is a it is another reason why i wrote the book because that is an epidemic yeah right now it is kids don't know how to do stuff and it's because we didn't train them to do we what we did was say no your job is school and that's all you need to focus on and we need to make your life as easy as possible all around that and my son he's he's almost he's 17 now and he said the other night he and his buddy were driving and there was a guy his car was stalled and so they got out and were able to help him push it into a parking lot and then he was able to jump give the guy a jump and get his car started he's like had he's like dad had you guys not trained me to do that all I could have done was, you know, I could have given him some great pre-cal help, right? Some great AP chemistry help, mm. but not actually the help that he needed. So he was right. like, why don't we learn basic stuff? You know, check, uh, you know, balancing a Quicken account, check, mm. checking account, right? Doing taxes. He's got a, he's had his first job, so he got his W-2 and so working, working through that. But we stopped thinking, here's the problem. 
we adopted a phrase many, many decades ago of how to describe parenting. And we said it's raising kids, which is so stupid. You don't say it in any other arena in life. A, a tree farmer, when he has saplings, doesn't say he's a sapling farmer. He doesn't say he's raising saplings. He's still raising trees. He just happens to have saplings now. Well, I'm not raising kids. I already have kids. What am I raising? Hmm. Adult, hopefully, adults. Hopefully adults. Yeah, right. That's the whole point. Parenting is raising adults. But we forgot about that. And there's a million books out there, including my first one, that says Raising Your Kids by Keeping Your Cool. So there's a million books, Raising you know, Responsible Kids, Raising Compassionate Kids, right? Raising Ecologically Informed Kids. But you can't keep raising kids, raising kids, and then be surprised that that's all you end up with is kids. Hmm. Oh, that's, a, that's an interesting paradigm shift. Right? Because I don't know how we adopted it, but it's like we want to keep them kids as long as, long as possible. And this book is saying, you know what? You're an adult. You're 18. You can, you can elect the president of the country. You are an adult. And life is not going to give you the excuse of not being able to take care of yourself and make good decisions. So I'm going to help you prepare for that. And so uh, it comes out as, uh, next week, and I'm thrilled about it and it's supposed to be it's very very short so it's short chapters because it's designed for younger generation and it's you know respond more react less it's pursue more of what you want most and less of what you want right now Mm. that's the biggest more and more i see that's the recipe for failure is whenever we abandon something we want most for what we want right now like you talk about vibrant living, which I, which I love. And that's something you want. Vibrant potential is great, which you, that's one of the things you want most. But what you want right now is a box of Krispy Kreme donuts, (laughs) (laughs) right? Right, Because they're crack cocaine in fried dough sugar form. And you can do that. And that's okay if you do it every once in a while. But if you live your life, just constantly chasing after what you want right now, you will actually abandon those things you want most. So it behooves us all to constantly be thinking about what are the things I want most? I want a healthy, amazing uh, relationship with my wife. I, I, I want relationships with my kids. I, I want a uh, success. I want to have a healthy, healthy, fit body. Well, that helps me make decisions in the short term about what I can say no to and yes to, to where it feels less like I'm depriving myself because I'm actually not. I'm actually giving myself the best chance to enjoy those things that I actually want most. So that's kind of the nature of, of these choices. One is produce more, consume less, uh, that you feel better when you actually create something than you do when you just consume something. It's these little things that I think actually make the biggest difference in life. Hmm. That's almost like the difference between responding and reacting is, is you know, just uh, putting off your instant gratification yes. for, for what you're what your what you principles want. what your principles might exactly tell you, you know? exactly and and exactly and i even there's even a ch- chapter and it's kind of contra- it's getting some controversy because i say be more loyal to your principles and be less loyal to people oh yeah i can see how that would be raise some eyebrows right away Wait, right. less but, loyal what exactly because we we uphold loyalty as the greatest of all virtues right it's actually not if you're loyal to people because 
in your in the name of loyalty to people, humans have done the worst things in the world mm. in history. Loyalty to the Third Reich is why the everyday population uh, participated along with, or at least allowed, whatever they were doing right. to the Holocaust. Uh, but you were talking about codependency earlier. That's a perfect description. You're more loyal to the person, so you, you will lie to your professor that saying your college roommate is sick when you know she's hungover and she needs to get help. But mm. you are enabling her by protecting her from the natural consequences of her choices. So because you love her, you have to choose to be more loyal to your principles and less loyal to her because that's not actually loving is when you're enabling because that's just codependent that's more about you solving your anxiety than about actually helping another person so oh, some man. of these that you know, that that could be like a really good uh podcast on of itself is how do you know when you're enabling someone versus loving them uh, it is tough it is tough because it. we will do a lot of things in the name of helping somebody. What helps uh, is when you realize you're not actually helping them. You're just soothing your own anxiety in the moment by doing what they are wanting in that moment. But you think about it with kids. You know, it's uh, there are times when I'll make I'm making a sandwich and my son and I are watching the NCAA tournament or something last weekend, Sunday, and I'm making myself a sandwich. And there are times occasionally when, you know what, I'll make him a sandwich and bring him one too. But if I do that every time, that's not loving to him. Mm. So, you know what? Hey, dude, do you want me to leave the bread out? That's as much as I'm going to do for him. Mm. And that's love. it's because I love him. And come on, once you fix it, uh, yeah, you, you can fix it. You'll be fine. It's mm. constantly just beginning to think about you've got to know what those principles are. What cool. are your core principles? So how do you how do you recommend finding your principles? Ah, is that, is that's that the next book? <laughs> yes, I love that. That's great. You know, one of the things is getting back to uh, your principles come from your desires, I really believe. And so uh, that pursue more of what you want most chapter is the first one because I think it sets the tone for the rest. And in that, I lead the reader through an exercise that I've often led my clients through. And it's called, I call it thoughtful wishing. And it's because what you're going to do is sit down and actually allow yourself to want anything and everything and write it down. Write it down a list of anything and everything that comes to mind that you could possibly think you actually want. And if and the hard part is not putting a governor on your shoulder that says, well, you're not supposed to want that. No, you, you want a new truck, put a new truck. You want to, you know, run away with the cabana boy that you met on the Mexican holiday, write it down. <laughs> right? this, is, this isn't about getting these things. It's just about allowing yourself to want because we can't force ourselves to want things. So getting to know your principles, the first step is, well, getting to get to know your desires because here's what happens. And that's why I call it thoughtful wishing. It's not wishful thinking. It's thoughtful wishing. It's allowing yourself to get thoughtful about the desires. Because as you go and build that list down more and more and more, the things that you want most usually come. And it's usually, you know, a college student. What I want most is a college degree. Great. Right? So that means education becomes one of your principles that helps you 
manage the desire to party. Doesn't mean don't ever be social and party. It just means that is subservient to this higher principle of I'm here to get an education. Yeah, and that's because com- most people don't want to die at 32 from a meth addiction. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I have found some that do, but oh, okay. you are right. <laughs> Very few, thankfully. Yes, exactly. And that's the, that's the surest way I know of getting to know yourself is look at what you want because we want what we want. This doesn't mean we get it. What's good is then get, get, get curious about what you want and why do you want it and what does it say about you that you want. So if you want a big, big house, right, and then to think constantly about the furniture and that, you know what, that means you like to stay settled and maybe, maybe that means you like to entertain others and you like to be hospitable. Those are great qualities about you. Say that, you know, a big house never comes up, but you think about, ah, I want to go to Italy, right? Or I want to go on an archaeological dig in, in Israel, or I, I want to, you know, walk the, the Great Wall. Well, that doesn't mean you're automatically going to do all those things. I hope you get to. But that does mean that you are an adventurer. And the negative way would be saying, well, you're restless. No, it's, I'm an adventurer. Well, here's the thing that, that you, know now, you now know about yourself. I'm an adventurer at heart. And when I'm not saying yes to that, because what I am saying yes to is just all the daily grind of my life, then I'm actually cheating myself of being who I really am. Hmm. And does it does it become restless when you're letting it, I mean, this is like catastrophizing language, but when you're letting <laughs> it ruin your life, like absolutely, if you're letting it kind of run your life and, and you can't really see anything else, like I just, I have to go on my next trip or something like that or... Yes. And that's, that's another way of getting to know yourself is, okay, what's the motivation here? And if the motivation here is escaping my relationships, then, then you're letting it drive you. You're, you're letting it master you. The, the one piece that always comes back to is my desires are great servants. Mm. They, are te- they are terrible masters. I am the master. That is the goal of adulthood is I am the master of me. I'm the CEO of my life. And I even said this to my kids early, early on. Remember one time my son, he was young and, you know, you're not the boss of me. And of course, everything in you wants to repeat your father, right? Oh, yes, I am, young man. As long as you're under my roof, I'm the boss, blah, blah, blah. Instead, I just looked at him and said, you know what? You're right. I'm not the boss of you. You are. And you have a choice to make. You can put that toy away or you can lose that toy for two days. It's up to you. You got 10 minutes to make the decision. And that's the message is every one of us has limits on our power, but that does not eliminate the fact that we are all our own bosses of what we do with the resources, time, constraints available to us. And that's another, that's another real impetus behind this book is I wanted my daughter to fully realize it is up to you. The book is called Choose Your Own Adulthood because I modeled it after these books that I read when I was growing up called Choose Your Own Adventure. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's awesome. Do you remember those? Yeah, they were so I do. Cool. I, I didn't catch that at first, but that's, yeah, for sure. That's awesome. It's so cool because you could read like five pages and then you could decide what happens next. So if you want to go slay the dragon, turn to page 83. If you want to go rescue the damsel in distress, turn to page 103. Right, right. And so... They were so fun. Well, that's actually how this book is written. At the end of each chapter, uh, 
give you a choice. You can go to the next chapter or you can go to some other chapter. Oh, no uh, kidding. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> so, yeah. So I wanted, it was nostalgic for me, but I also wanted to know, look, you're even in control of how you read this book because it's up to you. Wow. So I, I cannot wait to get my hands on a copy, Choose Your Own Adulthood. Uh, I highly recommend, guys, anything that Hal Runkle has done. I mean, I've, I've read his other books and everything that I've seen him do uh, has been really great, really valuable. And I'm sure this next book is going to be uh, no different. Just a quick tidbit for people that haven't read Scream Free Parenting, because that's, that's my favorite so far. How do you delineate between being controlling as a, as a parent and, yeah. and uh, you know, or oh, yes, I am the boss of you kind right, of parenting right. versus now you didn't let uh, in that in that quick little snippet that you gave of uh, your son or whatever, not wanting to put right. the toy away. You didn't right. you didn't say, OK, well, I guess just stay up here and play with the toy all day then. Like it, it wasn't like you laid down on, on your back about it either. It was uh, you still were sort of in control of the household or something. I don't know if that's how you would say it, but here's one way to think about it is we do not have any control whatsoever of the choices our children make because then we'd be making the choice for them. So we have no control over what they do. We have a lot of control over the choices our children have. And that's where it comes in is we are setting a structure that they live within, but within that structure, they have choice. And that is, we call it space, space and place. Space is the area over their lives over which they have say. And even infants have this. My infant daughter would not eat. She was deciding what will and would not go into her mouth. Mm. I wasn't deciding that. She was. So she has this power from the very beginning. Now, as she gets older, that power, that space increases, Right. I'm not going to let a 12-year-old, I mean, a two-year-old play in the street. But I am going to let the two-year-old play in a little tiny area in the yard, right? And hopefully you increase that, increase that, increase that, and they get better at how at handling that space so that by the time they're 10, they can play stickball or skateboard in the street and know to get outside of a car. Does that make sense? Yeah. And so our job is to carefully give our kids a structure that both manages the... Uh, limits the choices that they have, but gives them the freedom to actually make choices within that structure so that that way they get better at making decisions. And what you're doing is balancing, you know, how do, I'm always asking, how do I balance them, uh, protecting them from life's dangers while also exposing them to life's lessons. And that's the space and place. Place is kind of where their space ends, you know, putting your child in their place is kind of in that context. So I'm, I'm controlling what I can. And what I can control is the boundaries of their behavior that I will respond to. So I have char I'm in charge of what choices they have. You can wear this outfit or this outfit when they're three years old. Well, I want to wear that one. That one's not an option. Well, you're telling me what to do. No, you have a choice between these two. And they can mix and match between the two, right? And that's life. The life, you know, we don't live in a world with unending choices. Every day, all day, we face choices with constraints, with time limits and consequences. That's reality. 
And our job as parents is to prepare our kids for that reality. But that means we need to consistently expand their choices and expand their choices as they get older, even before we're even comfortable with it. Because we know with increased freedom comes what? Increased responsibility. And we can't help them learn that responsibility like we were talking about earlier if we're not giving them more and more space, more and more choices as they get older. So that's how we structure it and balance that space in place. Very, very cool. Well, Hal, uh, we're kind of coming up on the clock here. We've got to finish up. Can I have you give my listeners your number one health tip? Absolutely. Meditate. Five, time, five minutes a day. Set everything aside. Get an app. Get Headspace. Get Calm is another app out there. But do something where you are shutting off everything other than concentrating on your breathing. That's all you got to do. Mm. Just breathe in, breathe out for five minutes. Absolutely change everything in your life. And it, it's amazing. Now we're getting the data to back it up. And I'm saying, you know this better than I do, right? The data, it, it, it manages depression, anxiety, actually decision-making. It, it gives you better sleep. It's, it's amazing. And Tim Ferriss does a great job of talking about how many really successful people in life. Meditation is an absolute crux part of every day. All you need is five minutes. And you can do it anywhere. Very cool. Very awesome. Hal, thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you, man. I, I loved I loved it. I like having a conversation, and uh, I'd love to do it again. Awesome. Sounds great. Well, looking real forward to the, to the book. By the time the show gets up, actually, the book will be out. So by the time you're listening to this, I will have already read this book. Hal, thanks again. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Take care. Visit drchrisfrickman.com for more cutting-edge content, including nutrition and detoxification advice, unique fitness videos, and more.